Good morning here in live. We have a few people joining us. Uh, if you're new to Two Rivers, you might not know, we have a couple other campuses out in Roan County. Good morning to you. Down in Bearden, good morning to you. And then a couple other venues right here at Harrison Lane. We have Blend and Amp down the way. So good morning to you as well. Um, I'm Dave. Uh, and as we jump in, we're going to be in Luke. The first text we're going to be in is in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 10. Smartphone, go ahead and grab Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Now, I, I've shared with you before, uh, there's, there's two areas in my life where I'm deeply insecure. Um, and, and the first one uh, is in being a dad. I, I've shared that before. The, the little bit about me is when it comes to talking about parenting, when it comes to talking about passing along your faith to the next generation as a dad, there, there's likely um, only one area of my life where I'm more insecure. And that is in being a husband. Okay, so those are the two things. And so I hate talking about those two things. And so generally I avoid it, but this series doesn't let me avoid it because we're talking about passing along our faith to the next generation. And so if we have kids, the closest people of the next generation are the people in our own family. So what's it look like for us to pass along faith to our kids? If you have grandkids, pass along faith to our grandkids. If you don't have kids, there's an opportunity for you to invest in some way, shape or form in passing along faith in the next generation to the next generation. Now, I know that it's really important for us to talk about because there's no greater, I believe that, there's no greater current cultural issue to talk about than this. That, that what does it look like to pass along what it looks like to know, love, and follow Jesus to those who are coming behind? The reality for many that grow up in the local church is that they then depart the local church. I, I grew up, my parents went to church, I went to church with them, but then I, I hit uh, the, the late teen years into the college years and I'm like, well, I gotta find my own path. And so I, I depart from the local church. And, and the reason I know this is an issue is it's been an issue for a really long time. I'm 51 years old and it was an issue when I was a kid. This is my story. I did this. I, I was one of those people who grew up in the church. I, I knew stuff. I, I knew Jesus intellectually. I, I, I knew stuff about Jesus. I, I, I knew that I was forgiven. I, I knew that I was loved by God. In fact, I, I bought into this idea that there's, there's nothing that I could do that could make Jesus love me more or less. And I took that as a license to go party like a rock star. I did, that's not funny, it's tragic. So many of our young people do that. They take it as a license to go, well, it doesn't matter what I do. And so I wanna hold into tension, okay? It matters what we do, it matters. There's not a license because Jesus loves you. He's not gonna love you. He loves you, okay? He loves you. I wanna be perfectly clear. He loves you. You can't earn his love. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I'm not saying you can earn it, but because he loves you, your performance reflects it. I never connected obedience to Jesus to action, and Jesus does that. Jesus connects it. If you love me, and, and we, we see the word commandment and we think rule, but the, the word commandment in the scriptures just is God's loving instruction. And so if we think God's loving instruction, if you love me, 
you will follow my loving instruction. This whole series is called Listen, based on the concept of this Hebrew, Hebrew word, Shema. This idea that, that to listen is to obey God. The word Shema just means to hear. It means to listen. It means to obey. We could have called this series Obey with an exclamation point. It's the same thing. To listen is to obey. And we've said it every week because it's really important that we would get that concept, that we would know that, that it's, in, it's part of us to be a parent, to be a grandparent, to be aunt, uncle, to be involved in kids ministry, student ministry, the, the neighbors next door to pass along our faith to those that are coming behind that we model what it looks like to, to listen to Jesus and then do what Jesus says. The ancient Israelites knew that the God of the scriptures had set them apart to be his people. They knew that. It's all they talked about. They talked about it consistently, day in, day out, that we are the chosen people of God. So every day they, they prayed three passages of scripture. It, it's not necessarily a, a prayer per se. It's reciting three passages of scripture, morning and night, that, that they would then declare their oath of loyalty to God because he chose them to be his representatives to the world. This whole series is based upon a, a couple of books. One of them is called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And, and the authors write, um, the Shema, pronounced Shema, is not actually a prayer, but a set of scriptures that are recited morning and evening each day as a declaration of loyalty to God's covenant. It is a commitment to love God and to be obedient to him, to teach the scriptures to your children and to keep them in your thoughts at all times. The word Shema means listen. It's also translated other places in the Old Testament as obey. In Hebrew, they have a limited group of words that, that's called a lexicon. There's a limited group of words compared to English. It's a fraction of the number of words. And, and the word is the same word. To listen is to obey. And you only know how to translate the word based on context. So, so the concept is the same kind of thing. And it, and it begins in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And in the first section we looked at last week is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, that begins with these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The covenant God, the God of the scriptures, the, the God of the children of Israel. He is our God. He alone is our God. So throughout this series, we're, we've been talking about some principles. And, and it's important that when you get to the end of this series that you just don't pitch those and move on. In fact, if you keep these four principles and you talk about them in your family, in your groups, and you're like, okay, what does it mean for us to, to live out these four principles? They're, they exist to pass along faith to the next generation, built upon what some would call the Deuteronomy 6 kind of model. Many of you don't know, our, our kids' ministry is built on a Deuteronomy 6 kind of model that, that we would incorporate following Jesus into every area of life. So the first principle that we learned was following Jesus requires embracing exclusivity. Jesus says, 
that, that he alone is the way to God. And so when the world accuses us of, of being closed-minded, narrow-minded, bigoted, because it couldn't possibly be only one way to God, and how could you possibly believe that? You could say, well, what do you think about Jesus? And if they say to you, well, I love what Jesus teaches, they'd be like, well, you actually would have to call Jesus a bigot. In our culture, if somebody calls a follower of Jesus a bigot, they're calling Jesus a bigot because by our cultural definitions, Jesus was a bigot. Because here's what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say you can find your way to God. Let me know how it turns out. You got your own path, man. You gotta be you. He says, nope, I'm the way. In our world, in our world, we would say Jesus was a terrible person. He's a bigot and you should hate him. But most people are like, no, I love Jesus because he teaches you should love people and that's great. Yeah, he also taught that, that if you don't put your trust in him, that you'll spend forever separated from God in a real place we call hell, uh, eternally separated from God. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did Jesus ever really say that? What do you think he's saying when he says, no one can come to the Father but through me? I'm the path. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's what he's saying. One way. His name is Jesus. And, and that's a non-negotiable. That's a truth we have to build our lives upon. Why? Because it's going to get hard. And we have to believe that Jesus is the way. And then last week we learned following Jesus means we learn to love Jesus most. Love is learned. Yes, it's an emotion and it's great, the emotional side of it. I'm not saying that that's not an important thing, but, but the Hebrew word is a verb that means loyalty, acting on loyalty. I wish I understood that as a young person who is getting married, that one of the major concepts of the Old Testament when it comes to love is loyalty. Because I just grew up thinking it was the fairy tale. Like you get married and you live happily ever after, right? Well, that's not true. What you get is an allegiance and a loyalty that says, I'm all in this, why? Because I made a covenant. Man, they don't write a book about that. There's no Hallmark movie going, I'm toughing it out because I made a covenant. That one's not showing up this Christmas. That's God's story. That, that I'm committed, that I'm loyal. And that's when we tough it out with Jesus as well. Because to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love him with all who we are and all of what we have means that we're loyal to the exclusive relationship that we have with God through a relationship with Jesus. The third principle that we're gonna learn this weekend, following Jesus is a life to be lived. Following Jesus is a life to be lived. It's not a group of rules. It's not a checklist. It's, it's a life to be lived. Following Jesus is about including him in every area of life. Like, not segmenting it out. It's, it's not just a weekend kind of thing. It's a, it's a day in, day out 
relationship. It's a, it's a day in, day out inclusion. When I go to work, he's part of that. And, and in my family, he's part of that. And, and, and when I go to, to the sports fields, if I go to the club that I'm a part of, when I, when I go out with my friends, he's a part of that too. Jesus is, is included in every area of life. If, if we really have bought into this idea that he's asked us to love him with all of who we are and all of what we have. So as we go through this ancient text, um, each week we've been connecting it to something that Jesus taught or something that Jesus affirmed in the New Testament. Because um, we're just not gonna teach this, hey, this is what the people did in the Old Testament, so you should pray Shema every day, twice a day. Never heard that in this series, right? <laughs> that is not what we're teaching. It's a not about praying these scriptures every day, twice a day. It's about putting them into practice because Jesus says this is really important. In another interaction that he had in Luke chapter 10 with an expert of the law, in Luke chapter 10, picking up in verse 25, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, that word is rabbi, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And from there, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, that Jesus' point of this, of this story is, is to point out that, that the Jewish people, they'd been taught that it was okay for them to hate their neighbor. You, you hate your neighbor. Why? Because your neighbor wants to kill you. So in the Jewish mindset, you were to love the other Jewish people, you, you were to care for the other Jewish people, but the non-Jewish people, they were outside the family of God and, and they were people that it was okay to hate. They were the enemy. So it was okay for them to hate their enemies. In fact, it was actually right that they would hate their enemies because their enemies were terrible people. Sound like the world you live in? That sounds like the world I live in. That sounds a lot like uh, America today. You, it, you teach, our culture teaches hate your enemy. You're like, no, they don't. They absolutely do. Absolutely. It's a cultural norm now that says when somebody disagrees with you, it's not just okay. It's right that you would hate them. They, they probably deserve to die. They probably deserve it. No, that is the exact opposite of the truth. That is a cultural norm that is so far out of bounds that it can't possibly align with what it means to follow Jesus. And sometimes we as followers of Jesus, we buy into the lie. That's not okay. It's not okay for us as followers of Jesus to take that kind of mindset. And so what, what happens here is, is Jesus asked this lawyer a question. He's like, what do, you, what do you understand? I remember the first time 
here that, that I had taught the concept that Jesus wasn't the first person to teach that the central tenet of the law was connected to two passages. One is the Deuteronomy 6 passage. In particular here, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And then the other one that he connects to it is Leviticus 19, 18, that says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He connects these two concepts together. Jesus did it, but he was not the first person who did that. And, and I had somebody go like, where'd you go to seminary? I was like, I don't know. They didn't teach me that in seminary. That's not, the, we talked about stuff, not that stuff. I, I don't know. Why, why does that matter? They were like, surely that can't be true. I'm like, just plainly read the text. This is the second interaction that we've seen. We saw one two weeks ago. We see this one today where there's other experts in the law who had already connected together these two concepts to say, if you wanna sum up all of God's loving instruction, it's to love God with all of who you are and all of you have and love your neighbor. Those are the two most important things that we could ever do. Jesus says, you got it right. Do that and you live. But this guy's like, ah, I don't want to love people I don't like, so who's my neighbor? And so here's why I'm saying this and why I think it is so foundational and so important. Jesus didn't give them some new deep spiritual truth, like, oh, do this now. He said, do what you know to do. You already know what to do. Do that. And for many of us, we don't need some new deep spiritual truth. We just need to know to do what we're supposed to do. Jesus has been really clear. What's it look like? What's it look like to know, love, and follow Jesus to do what he says? To do the things that he says. Jesus was just affirming what they already knew, that to love God with all of who you are and what you all of what you have to love people with the love that God has for you. That's what it means to live out a life of following Christ. Following Jesus is a life to be lived. What? Loving God, loving Jesus the most and loving people with that love that God has for us. And so we're gonna pick up in this second passage in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 13 through 21. This is a longer section that they would recite every day, twice a day. If then you obey the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and soul, I will grant the rain for your land and season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in your new grain and wine and oil. I will also pro provide grass in the fields for your cattle. And thus you shall eat your fill. Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them. For the Lord's anger will flare up against you and he will shut up the skies so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its produce and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is assigning to you. Therefore, impress these words upon your very heart, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead and teach them to your children, reciting them when you stay at home and when you are away when you lay down and when you get up and inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates to the end that you and your children may endure in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to assign to them as long as there is a heaven over the earth. 
The space between Deuteronomy chapter six, verse nine, where the first section of scripture leaves off, and here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, in that space in between, the children of Israel are reminded repeatedly that they're God's chosen people based upon nothing that they've done. And it's over and over, they're reminded that they're, they're simply a legacy, God made a promise to Abraham. They're part of that promise. They're God's chosen people, not because they're awesome people, simply because God is an awesome God. And he reminds them of that over and over. And then he reminds them, not only are you not an awesome people, you're a disobedient people. And I should kill you all, but I'm not going to. He dies like over and over again. It's, it's amazing. You should read it this week. I reread it just the other day. It's so good. It's so good to remind yourself, like it's all about God, all about God's faithfulness. And as, as we look here, as we zoom in on, on this section, it really doubles down on, on Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, verses five through nine, where it really talks about what does it mean for us to be a people who incorporate what God is teaching us in every area of life. When it comes to the scriptures, I'm gonna shock maybe some of you when I say this. Sometimes um, I use this phrase, we overcook it. Sometimes we, we take the scriptures and if we break them down too far, we end up missing the meaning. And so if we're to try and break this all into the parts, sometimes you end up missing the greater statement. And so if you're like, well, what does it look like for me to love God with my heart? And what does it look like for me to love God with my strength? And what does it look like for me to love God with my mind? You've missed the point. The point is love God with all of who you are and all of what you have. All of you. Well, now from there you go, okay, what are the areas that are all of me? But it's not like a legalistic kind of, oh, this is my heart, this is my mind, these are the segments of my life. No, you missed the point. The point is, it's all of who you are and all of what you have. Love God with that. And the same is true, like when you get up and when you lay down and when you're on the way and when you're in the house and write them on your hand and on your forehead and on the doorposts and on your gates. Well, I guess I need to do all those things. And guess what the Jewish people did? They did all those things. And God was like, every area of life, impress my loving instruction in everything that you do. And so for us as followers of Jesus today, I, I wanna talk about some practical things that we need to know. And the first thing is we need to keep it simple. We need to keep it simple. As we look to our kids, our grandkids, to, to kids that are involved in kids ministry or the neighbor's kids or whoever it is that we're involved with, we need to keep it simple. And here's what I mean. Use the common everyday thing to have a spiritual conversation. This is what Jesus did. He used the common everyday thing in the days in which he lived to, to, to reinforce and to teach spiritual truths. You don't have to come up with some deep theological truth. You don't have to have a, a class. You don't have to be like, okay, well, Let's talk about this doctrine of the scriptures. No, you don't have to do that. You can just take the common everyday thing and have a conversation. So give you an example. You're going to the beach. You're going to vacation on the beach. Kids are in the car and you're going on vacation. You'd be like, well, what's Jesus have to do with going to the beach? And you'd be like, everything. Jesus often hung out on the beach. Although it wasn't really like that beachy. It was more rocky, but Jesus loved the beach. Jesus was all about hanging out at the beach. Well, so let's go. Let's go to the beach. That's a good reason for me to go to the beach. Jesus loved the beach. As you're driving your car, you could ask the question, hey, 
There's a whole mass of humanity headed to the beach. How is it that we get there without having an accident? Your kids are like, I've never thought of that. You mean this car doesn't drive itself? Nope. How is it that that happens? Well, there's these things called the rules of the road and the rules of the road help us to not crash. If we all do the right thing the right way at the right time, the rules of the road help us to not crash. Because there's rules and we follow the rules, we don't run into each other. And then you can connect it, connect it to the truth. How does applying God's word do that for us? How is taking what we know about God and what he teaches, the truth of what he teaches, and as we put that into our lives, how does that keep us from the ditch or running into somebody else? and putting them into a mess. And then you can be like, okay, well, what happens if somebody doesn't follow the rules of the road? Let's say, hypothetically, somebody runs a stoplight by eight seconds and smashes into the side of your car, Toyota Matrix, bam! Be like, but I was following the rules of the road. Just because we're following God's loving instruction doesn't mean that another person who is not following God's loving instruction isn't gonna cause a mess in our world. There's no guarantee just because I am on the path of following Jesus, somebody who's not isn't gonna come and cause a wreck in my world. These are conversations that you can have. When it comes to the rules of the road, I actually thought of this one the other day um, because I was coming up on a, a roundabout. Okay, I've lived in East Tennessee 11 years. No emails this week on this comment, but here's the deal. <laughs> when you lived in a place for 11 years and you're 51 years old, it's, you know, it's a fifth of my life. I, I should be able to be like, okay, I, I think I get it. And these roundabout things that they're putting in here, I personally think are amazing, but y'all here in East Tennessee have yet to figure them out. Some of you, some of you. Now, we all have stereotypes, right? And so I'm gonna share, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I'm about ready to share my truth. Here's my truth. My stereotype, when I see an elderly woman behind, behind the wheel, nobody hears an elderly woman. <laughs> but when I see an elderly woman behind the wheel, here's my stereotype. She's coming up on a roundabout. My stereotype says she's gonna be overly cautious. So I'm getting ready to gun it. That's how I roll. <laughs> She's gonna be overly cautious. So I'm at the roundabout. She's coming up on the roundabout. I'm like, she's gonna be overly cautious. And so I get ready, I'm gonna gun it. Bam. And she doesn't even hit the brakes. She doesn't even slow down. She's just like, bam, right through. And immediately I was ticked off. I'm like, what? And then I was like, wow, that was really cool. That was actually super impressive. Mad props to you. She did it right. And I was ticked because she didn't do what I expected. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, rules of the road. Just do what you know to do. And so here's the lesson for drivers in East Tennessee. Stop being polite. <laughs> polite drivers cause accidents. I'm gonna get a bumper sticker for my car. No, I'm not, but polite drivers cause accidents. Do what's expected and follow the rules of the road. If I'm behind you and you wave that person in front of you that you should not wave in front of you, I'm honking my horn 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> Do what's right. Follow the rules of the road. Same is true in our lives of following Jesus. You got too much there. I'm sorry. Now, 
when it comes to this, knowing God's word is essential. We know this intellectually, knowing God's word is essential. But one of the things that we, we talked about this week in our sermon meeting is that it's not enough to know a little bit about the Bible or a couple Bible stories. It's not enough to know just a little bit. Or, and so our part, I know it sounds weird, our part in passing along our faith is to put a, a deep investment in knowing, understanding the word of God. There, there's actually a whole section of scripture that you can, you can use in conversations about what it means to know, love, and follow Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter five. Uh, yeah, Matthew chapter five through seven. If you look through those chapters in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches a whole bunch of, of really amazing little nuggets that you could just take one little section and you can have a conversation about. Hey, when Jesus says, hey, you've heard that it's wrong to murder someone, but I say to you, anybody who's passed judgment on another person that, that you're gonna be held liable against that, all of a sudden when, when your kid comes home from school, it's like, my teacher's treating me so unfairly. And you can be like, okay, well, that's fair. Let's talk about that. But let's not murder your teacher in your heart. Let's not go there. Whatever your, your thing is, you can have a conversation connecting it to a spiritual truth. But in order for that to happen, you have to know the spiritual truth. You have to know God's word. Now, you don't have to become an expert. You don't have to become a Bible teacher. You don't have to dig deeper. You don't have to go to original languages. You don't have to do any of that. But you have to spend time in God's word so that you know it beyond just a couple simple Bible stories. The other thing that, that we really need to emphasize is that consistently talking about troop, truth helps us persevere. Now, the persevere that I'm talking about here isn't when tragedy strikes, it's not when life gets hard, it's persevering in the truth. In a world that's pushing, pushing back, that is pushing back and saying that this is not true, that, that how could you possibly believe in a God who only has provided one way, that it's just said that it's just Jesus, or pushing back and saying, God's not real, God doesn't exist. How do we persevere? Because it can be really hard to hold on to what is true. Here's an example. You can start with the question, what matters most? What matters most? Have that conversation with your kids. What matters most? Have that conversation with your grandkids. The world's message and, and Jesus's message is often at odds. And this is, this is one of those areas. Culture says what matters most is to store up treasures on earth. Now, I wanna define treasures because every generation is gonna define treasure differently. This is something, if we're older, if we have gray hair, got that, you need to understand that the next generation and the next generation are gonna define treasure differently. No longer is treasure um, the American dream of a house and a big 401k. That's, that's, that's no longer. A home ownership is, is no longer the goal of the next generation. It's now all about experience. In fact, they'll rent forever. As long as they get to take awesome vacations and post it on Instagram, as long as they get to do that, I could care less if I ever own a house. I could care less about that. That's just, that's just the man trying to keep me down. I'm all about the experience. But that's still a treasure placed in the wrong place. Just looks different. Jesus says something else. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal and where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you can have that conversation. 
Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. You can talk about what does that mean for us to be a people who store up treasures in heaven? Having conversations, though, isn't where it ends. We have to take it from the conversation and then put it into action because truth applied, that is depth. For many people, they think the more information that I have, the deeper that I am. When in fact, Jesus is like, I'm not gonna give you new information. You already know what to do. Love God, love people. That's what it's about. Love God, love people. Love God with all of who you are and with the love that God has for you. Love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everyone, especially the people that you hate. Those people. Put that into practice. That is depth. So when we apply God's, God's truth to our lives, we gain depth over time. We gain depth over time when we put it into practice. And so it's, it's not just, hey, I, I had a conversation. It's about, okay, now how do we live it out? How do we put that into our lives? It's, it's a process that happens over time. And I wanna tell you, it takes a team. Parents, you're not in this alone. You feel like you're in it alone. You're not in it alone. Grandparents, you're not in it alone. It takes a team. It takes a whole group of people. It takes people who will volunteer in kids' ministry. It takes people who will volunteer with students. It, it, it takes friends and neighbors and a whole group of people because kids need to hear from multiple influences in their world about what it looks like to know, love, and follow Jesus. And it's also gonna feel awkward if you've not done this before and you're just jumping into it, it's gonna feel awkward. And so often in our lives, we need to know that what we're experiencing is just normal. And, and if people who've been following Jesus for a while are like, it, it's awkward. You're like, well, I wanna do this thing, but I'm afraid it's gonna be awkward. You just, it is, you're right. Okay, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Embrace the awkward. I've shared this story before. It's been a little while since this story happened, but I had the gift. Um, I really, it was an amazing gift that I got to drive my kids to school. I have two daughters. I got to drive them to school for years. And I personally love music. And so I would use music as a conversation starter. So there were some days we just drove to school and we listened to music. Some days we would drive to school, we'd listen to music and we'd pray uh, like, okay, how can we put this into practice? What's it look like for me to, to name one person? We did that for a little bit. Name one person in your class that you're praying for today. Um, we, it, but it didn't look the same every day. And it wasn't like in order for this to be a spiritual time, we have to pray or in order for this to be a spiritual time, it has to look a certain way. So what I would do is I would use lyrics to a song that we were listening to. And I would be like, okay, well, let's talk about what this lyric means. And um, there's a song by Newsboys. It's just, this is an old one, but it's called We Believe. And there's, there's a bunch of theological truths in there. And so I want you to listen to the chorus into the beginning of verse two to listen to all these truths that play out in this song. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than anthems. Greater than the songs we. 
So at that point, I turned down the radio, and instead of those uh, great theological truths from the chorus, I focus in on that first lyric of the, of the second verse. And I ask, I ask my girls this question. So what does it mean that our faith would be more than anthems? And my daughter says, anthems? I thought they said ant farms. <laughs> here, here it is again. Listen to it. It sounds a lot like that. So. Let her faith be more than Ann Farms. And she gets that gift from my wife. My wife has the incredible gift of mishearing lyrics like nobody else. I'm like, that's amazing. In fact, we have a plaque in our kitchen right now that says, um, let her faith be more than Ann Farms. It's become a mantra. It's a, it's a, family, it's a family mantra. We want our faith to be more than Ann Farms. And anthems too. And so it can just be fun. And we got to talk about, okay, yeah, how could it be like an ant farm? And then we're like, so what's it mean that our faith would be more than singing songs on a weekend? What's that look like? What's it look like for our faith to become real and tangible? And then it can also just make some great memories because kids will say crazy stuff. As you think about this and you're likely intimidated, you, you are not alone. There's so many resources. Parents, if you don't know, grandparents, you likely don't know if you don't have kids that attend one of our campuses. There's so many resources that are available to you that, that you're not out there on an island if you don't want to be. You can just walk into the kids' ministry area on every one of our campuses and you can pick up help. It's there for every single age. This says for fifth grade, the phase when friends are best friends, games are for competition, and your confident uh, kid will insist, I've got this. Sounds like you're fifth grader, maybe. You don't have it. If you're in fifth grade, you don't have it, okay? Just so we're clear. You don't have it until you're like 45, all right? But there's all kinds of stuff to make it practical, to make it, to make it real in their world. And it's all built upon the concept of Deuteronomy 6. How do we make this part of everyday life? How do we have conversations in an ongoing kind of way, day in, day out conversations? Not like, oh yeah, hey, what'd you learn as you went to kids ministry or student ministry this weekend? That's part of it. You should have that conversation. But then it goes into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. How do we keep the conversation going even when it's awkward? It's using things like to, to live it out, to go, okay, I don't have to do every one of these questions, but we can read one of these scripture passages and we can ask a couple of those questions. The one thing that we want you to do is, is to not think that it has to look like a certain way. And so if your family has a morning devotion every day, good on you. Um, I'm not saying that that's what it needs to be or even should be for your family. Allow the Holy Spirit to tailor it into your world so that it become part of the normal conversation when you get up and when you're driving in the car and then when you come home from school and then as you go into the evening, what's it look like for us to have ongoing spiritual conversations about what it looks like to live a life following Jesus? So as we look to our next steps, the first one is this, allow the Holy Spirit to change your mind about what passing along your faith looks like. What does it look like? 
I, I need to go, wow, I, I need to engage it just because I might not meet some artificial bar out there that I think I have to meet. I, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. Certainly, I want the, the people in my world to know, love, and follow Jesus. So what does it look like for me just to, to do something, to take a next step, to, to pick something up from kids' ministry, to have a conversation, to, to take and go, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some things together. The church has said this year we're going to be focused on some things, praying for three to five people who don't know Jesus yet. So what's it look like for us as a family to pray for three to five people who don't know Jesus yet? You may have your personal card, but maybe you have a family group of three to five people who don't know Jesus, and you're praying and then going, okay, how can we take the next step in showing them who Jesus is? Hey, as a family, we're going to go to these three all-in prayer nights. Hey, as a family, we're going to go to these Serve Saturdays. We're going to put our faith into motion together. And the second one is this. Take the step, step in. Ask God this question. God, what are you moving me toward? Not, not to look back with the woulda, shoulda, coulda and the regret, okay? Don't, that's not what we're asking. What we're saying is, what is God calling you to? And so that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna create the space for a minute to ask God this question, God, what are you moving me toward? What's the practical thing? And maybe it's a conversation this week that, that you as a family could have. Maybe that's the starting point. But what is it that you're calling me toward? That, that what we've done in the past, we're going to, to not look back and go, oh, I messed it all up. Instead, we're gonna say, what is it that you're calling us to? And so in all of our venues, that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna allow you just to ask God that question. God, what are you moving me toward? I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand. All our venues, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna close um, by declaring uh, our praise. But here's the prayer for this week. Over this series, we've given you some one-line prayers and we're gonna do that this week and next week. And, and Mark mentioned last week, setting a timer three times a day and, and to declare this, this prayer. So here's this week's prayer. Jesus invade every area of my life. And so if you haven't done this, I wanna encourage you to try it this week. This is this week's prayer. Jesus invade every area of my life. And today what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask Jesus to invade our worship. Jesus, today, would you invade our worship by the power of your spirit? Would you help us now to worship you through song?